This episode is sponsored by Dreams Los Angeles, a lifestyle shop inspired by surrealism located in Atwater Village, LA. Stop by 3229 Glendale Boulevard for everything you need for your body, mind, and space, including apparel, apothecary, sexual wellness, products, homewares, books, and kids. And be sure to follow them on Instagram at Dreams Los Angeles. And by Cuckoo French Classes, a bi-coastal school offering group and private French classes in person and online to adult students of all levels. Cuckoo LA is located in the heart of Silver Lake and focuses on modern French. Join their Francophile community for fun events and cultural workshops, such as regular wine tastings in partnership with Vinovore. Book your free trial class today on cuckoofrenchclasses.com, spelled C-O-U-C-O-U, or frenchclasses.com. It was really stressful, but it really pushed me to the edge and made me stronger. Welcome to Winesplaining, the podcast that peels back the journey of women shaping the wine business. I'm Coley Denhan, and today we're speaking with winemaker Christy Tessie of Tessier while she's in Los Angeles visiting from Berkeley. She's making natural wines inspired by her background in microbiology, her passion for French winemaking and styles, and a deep love for music, all while representing the beauty and community that California has to offer. I've been lucky enough to be drinking and buying her elegant and just downright tasty wines for years now, and not one vintage has disappointed. Her expression of Riesling is one of my favorites in California, and I know her story is just as captivating as her wine. Welcome, Christy, to Winesplaining. Thank you. Happy to be here. So we're going to get into your whole story and, and how you got to where you are now. But just to start off, what, is, what does Tessier mean? Uh, I mean, Tessier is the original French version of my last name, Tacy. So when I was thinking about a wine brand, I wanted to look to France. And I mean, I'm a Euro mutt, but um, I decided to kind of look to that lineage. And my family came from Loire Valley and went into Canada and then came into Michigan where it got phonetically spelled to Tacy. So, oh, amazing. Tessier. So this is an homage to your, your lineage. I love it. So let's get right into the beginning of Christy. So uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Michigan, Bay City, Michigan, where Madonna grew up. Great fun <laughs> fact. That's like the only fun fact. But. It's a good one. It's I'm, a good I, one, I'm yeah. a huge Madge fan. So Me too. We're, we're there with that. Um, and so growing up in Michigan, what was that like? Was it rural? Were you in, you know, kind of a city sense? or Right. I grew up in a township, Essexville Hampton Township, really small, um, working class family. I'm the oldest of four. And um, I just, I wanted to get out and do bigger things, I guess, and just have more adventures and diversity and just anything that wasn't our small town I was interested in, you know. <laughs> so what did you want to be when you were young and the oldest of four? Did you think about things like that? For sure. Like I thought about being um, a dentist. Okay. <laughs> and I thought about being a doctor. And then I was really thinking about being a naturalist. That was like the main thing, like work at a 
national park and kind of live by yourself and give tours of all the plants and hike hike around and take in nature. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask what a naturalist meant to you. Is that somebody who worked at a yeah, natural collects resort? plants and then yeah, I wanted to get into like ethnobotany, um, anthropology. Like those are the things that I was into. So in Michigan, did you end up staying there um, all throughout like childhood, high school years? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's um, I have a lot of family there. So my mom and dad both had 10 brothers and sisters, and my mom's family is all there. And then those, you know, brothers and sisters had like four to five kids. So it was it was massive. And everywhere I went in town, like people knew me and my family. So <laughs> maybe you should have named your wine Copious Cousins. Copious Cousins. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Okay, so I, I know, you know, that you're, you have a, a strong background in science. So what took you from uh, being in small town, you know, Michigan with, with your large family um, to decide to go study science? Were, was there something else that you decided to study before that or? No, I definitely was interested in science. Um, I was good at math and science really like pulled me in. Uh, so I I graduated from high school and then I went uh, up north for a little bit for like one year. I got a scholarship to Lake Superior State University, which is in the Upper Peninsula. And I was like, this is not what I want. Like they would get off. um, They would get to take a break from college to have like a hunting day. So it it was just kind of uh, not not the direction that I wanted to go. So I applied to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and I got in there. And so I moved down there, and that's where I got my degree from. And that that was more of my people. So I had a lot of liberal arts friends, and my roommates were all um, writers and English majors. And I didn't really I didn't hang out with any science people, and. Um, that's when I started to see music all the time. Um, any, like, basement band and um, any shows that would come around Ann Arbor, I would go and then later go to Detroit for every show that I could see and got into the rave scene a little bit. Okay. Um, but music was a important part of my life. And, and also, like, when I was younger, I, I danced. So I did, like, ballet and acrobatics and jazz, and I, I really love ballet. But that's when I... Um, kind of found music and like felt relaxed in it and it was really meaningful. So I never played an instrument, but um, music is a lot to me. (laughs) Yes, I I want to touch more on this later. So you're in Ann Arbor, you so you are studying in Michigan State? University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. In Ann Arbor. Um, and what were you studying then? So uh, I have it. I was studying biology, and okay. but there's also you know classes in anthropology and evolution. But I got my degree in microbiology, biology. Okay, so that is where the 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 science end of things started mm-hmm. for you. Um, so what did you do with the microbiology? What was the plan? I don't know if I really had a plan. I immediately moved to California to LA. Actually, my best friend was living out here. And I just thought I would get a job doing like being a research scientist somewhere. But I had no I didn't I didn't put the time in to like get a job in that in that field. Um, 
I I had I did work the whole time through college, but I worked at the Ecology Center and then I worked at Whole Foods as a bagger and I just wasn't smart about it, you know, in hindsight. <laughs> but but anyways, I so my loans started to um you know, they like, you have to repay us and I was like, "Oh shit, I got to got to like get a job, like the highest paying job I can get." So I um then I started getting jobs in science, but it wasn't until after I started working at the University of Michigan Medical Center. So I moved to California, and then I moved back to Michigan because things weren't really working out, and then got a job there doing research with the gastroenterology department. And um, the work that I did got published. Um, We got a bunch of papers published. And so then that kind of helped establish me to to move back out again. So after a year and a half, I moved back to California, and then I was in Berkeley. And then I started working at a couple different biotechs, and then eventually I worked with Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory on the um, Human Genome Project. So it was the Joint Genome Institute, a collective that was run by the Department of Energy to, to sequence the human genome in a fast way. And um, so that was really cool. I, I worked on that for three years, and I, I really loved that. And then later I went to a private, um, a private biotech, and they were focusing on diagnostic kits. And I was in the research department, so I was working on central nervous system diseases, like large-scale case control studies, like working with human brains and um, trying to find, like, a gene target uh, so it was just like lots of lots of lab work, and then later lots of statistical analysis work, and um, then I was just was like, oh, you know, it just suck all my sucked all my energy out. I can imagine. <laughs> so are we talking like alive human brains, like people you'd study like that, or no talking? people? So like people would leave their brains to um, UCSD is where we got a lot of our samples from, and that's the only way you can confirm that a patient has Alzheimer's is when you. I guess, look at their brain tissue. So we would get just like little pieces of the brain tissue and um, use that DNA to run our case control studies. So we would have brain pieces from people that didn't have Alzheimer's and people that did. And then we would have these gene targets that we would look at and compare them, you know, to see like, what's the difference? What's going on? And then kind of back it out to be like, what's the story here? Like, can we make a drug? Can we make a diagnostic kit kind of thing? So at that time, did you feel like, you know, you were making like these kind of leaps and bounds for, you know, human betterment? Or you, you were mentioning that you kind of got burned out on, out on it a little bit. I mean, what, what yeah. was your feeling at that time working on something that sounds that sounds intriguing? It was It was really cool. And I thought long and hard about leaving that career, but I would have had to go back to get my PhD. And I wanted to when I first got out of school, but it's like more money and lots of focus and time. And um, I think I was just going a different direction. When I moved to California, my cousin took me wine tasting and I was 22 and we went to uh, Rocchioli in Sonoma. And so they have all this estate property and we were hanging out and I just started to click clue in like the vines that were growing on that estate made the wine that I was drinking. And actually it was the first bottle of wine I bought was a Riesling from from them. Um, but I was just really intrigued by that because my background, like my favorite things were 
science, I mean, in science, we're like soil and climate and um, plants. So I really like that. I didn't know how to get that to be my job, but it made a big impact. And then also hanging out with people and like, you know, wine makes you relax a little bit and um, have, you know, elevates small talk to medium talk. That's what I've always liked about it. <laughs> science people are pretty uptight and it made me really nervous and it's kind of a critical field. Like you have to do everything just right. You can't mess up. And that was really like getting to me too. Uh, it was making me become really anal retentive and it was carrying over into my personal life. And I was just like, I don't, I don't want to be this person, you know? What was your personal life at that point where you just, you were at what, like, so you said 22 is when you went on your first wine tasting. You're in Berkeley doing the the brain studies and, and getting a little, um, not liking who you were at the time, a little yeah. too uptight. You, what yeah. was your social life like? I mean, I still went out to see music all the time and... Then that was always hard because I'd be out late and no one else was out late. <laughs> so you get into work and you're like, don't talk to me for like the first like hour or whatever. Um, no one else was like that. <laughs> so that that was hard. I I was um I got married around that time too. And um my that relationship was really critical as well. So I was really nervous all the time. I never felt like I was smart enough because I was always around all these like you know, PhDs, and they'll always let you know it, you know. <laughs> was your husband in the, that world as well? No, he's from, he was from Michigan, and um, he uh, worked at a, a big corporate company and uh, just, you know, he was like, I'm going to have this one job and then get a pension and retire, like old school kind of mentality. Okay. So it sounds like there was... A lot of push and pull within you at that time of, yeah. of what you were of doing, you know, who you were with and what you wanted to be doing, going back to that naturalist idea of, you know, botany and plants. And then, you know, you see wine and, you know, wine is magical, as we all know. Yeah. And this is kind of like niggling in the back of totally your brain. Uh, so what, what's happening at this point then? So you're not happy yeah. in your work I'm necessarily. At, I'm at my biotech job and like, you know, things were happening. Like we got published on a bunch of different projects and I was driving to work one day and I heard this NPR um, story about a couple people that changed their careers midlife and, you know, for less money, but they were way happier. And that's like not the Midwestern way of doing it. You know, (laughs) you go to school, you get your job and you work until you retire. And so that was kind of what I was brought up with and thinking, this is crazy. Why would you think about changing careers, you know? Um, But I heard that podcast and it really like, you know, grabbed me. Like I just felt like it was talking to me. And I I was like, I'm going to just start researching wine. And um, so I went wine tasting a lot and read about like all the different small wineries. Loved Pinot Noir, so I was obsessing about it. Um, sent some emails, but like all the small producers are like, it's a really hard business and you don't make a lot of money and I don't have any positions for you now, you know? So I was like, that's discouraging. Okay. What were you reaching <laughs> out to them about to just like just apprentice like, or yeah, just yeah. harvest? Yeah. Just to get into it. And yeah. I did start volunteering at um, an urban winery in Oakland and then they eventually posted a position for operations manager. So I interviewed with them 
and they gave me the job. So at that point, did you quit? So I quit. You quit science. That yeah. was the moment that so you I were... crossed over. Okay, so operations manager. And then also assistant winemaker. So I got to learn winemaking alongside of them. Just jumped right in. Just like, jumped right in. They, I got to do everything. Okay, so... And they were really awesome. They were, they were from the school background. Like, they were running um, special needs schools even. So they were so encouraging and, like, complimentary, which is the complete opposite of science. You know, it's always like, you didn't do this right. You missed this one step. You did the wrong dilution. Um, but they were like, you did such a great job. I, you know, I can't believe how organized you are. Just all this nice stuff. And I'm like, whatever, you guys. Like, what are you talking about? But it, like, sunk in. And it, I started to feel better about myself and, like, feel a little bit less shy. And um, it was also really fun to to work with people and do a lot of different things. Like, I'm kind of good at doing a lot of – I can pick up things really easy. And, um, and I was never bored because I was kind of bored – uh, sitting in front of my computer, and I I wasn't really down with that. So, um, but my husband wasn't happy. <laughs> no, <laughs> he wasn't happy that you quit your stable, yes. uh, high paying job, high paying you know, job, uh, retirement, and everything. Yeah. So we're we're in Oakland. We're having the time of our lives. We yeah. go from this cold, sterile environment yeah. to something that's just warm and open, and everybody's telling you how amazing you are. And yeah. I believe that you are because, <laughs> I mean, I, it takes such a certain mind to do that science end of things that I mean I don't have, and, and you know, mathematician, and I can only imagine, you know, having this kind of artist sense to you too, but still having this backbone of you know organization and you know diligence, which is invaluable, I'm sure, right. in a lot of positions. So of course they were super happy yeah, to have I mean, you. That's my core. So that's like the easy part. I feel like letting myself be creative. What I was like, uh, you know, <laughs> tiptoeing out into that. <laughs> so how long had you been married at this point? Uh, I think, like, we were just married for a couple years when I did the career switch. Okay. So there was some tension there. Um, He wasn't super stoked, but you were super happy. I was super happy, yeah. Okay, so you, no looking back at that point, there were no regrets. No. But then after three years, that winery sold. Mm. So then I was like, oh, no, you know. And my husband was like, great, got to go back to the biotech. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just thinking, like, no, you know, what am I going to do? So um, I started consulting. Uh, This home winemaker wanted to start a brand. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I just sold myself. And I was kind of shocked at the words that were coming out of my mouth. Like, I can do this. And I was just like, okay, I got a job now. So, um, and also at that time, I bought grapes uh, from Sarah Lee Condi up in Sonoma. And the guys that owned the winery drove me up. And, like, I had met her through them for the three years that we were making wine, but they were like, you have to tell her that you want to make wine and see if you can get fruit from her, which was like a really good growing experience. And so she's like, tell me about your brand. And I told her about it. And I mean, it's kind of a pain for these uh, bigger growers to work with small people because it's just like one ton or half a ton of fruit. 
But she, like, listened to my whole plan and was, like, really excited for me. <laughs> that was, like, so awesome. That's amazing. So at that point, you had a plan. So I had a plan. Okay. So but again, you... I felt like I was kind of making it up as I went, you know. But you had— you... <laughs> But I did have a plan. You knew—okay, so you left this winery. Now you are you sold yourself as one does. We all, we all yeah. have these moments <laughs> in our life, especially as entrepreneurs, where yes. we say we can do something that we really can't, but we yes. figure it out. Yeah. Um, so at that same time, you had already started a plan for your own label. So Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know what I was going to do with it, and my husband at the time was not into it. He didn't want me to do it. But I did talk him into, like, I just want to make six barrels and see what happens. Because when I did work at um, the winery in Oakland, like, I ran the tasting room too, and people would always come in like, where are the winemakers? So I never got the credit, even though I was doing the same amount of work, sometimes more. So I was thinking to myself, like, I want to be that person that people are like, where's the winemaker? I'm like, it's me, you know? <laughs> and they're like, oh, cool. Awesome. So that that's kind of the other thing that I filed away. So then I was just working for other people, keeping the brand really small, like two to 300 cases over the years. And and every year I had to fight with him about making more wine. So it was it was stressful. But when I did it, I felt so good, you know. And um, at the time I approached it like a scientist. So I would buy commercial yeast and I really wanted to control the wine and make it perfect. Because also he was saying like, you know, you're going to mess this up. Like, what are you doing? You don't know how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so I was I was stressed, but I didn't believe it, you know. So I just like kept kept on and um, I guess I kept adding more vineyards. So I was meeting more people, so more growers that were really passionate and believed in me. So that felt really good. Like, oh, yeah, I can do this. Like they they love the wine and like they really love working with me. And um, so I just kind of kept growing little by little. But I was also doing these missions by myself that I had to be at the vineyard to pick so I'd have to rent a giant truck, not my favorite thing to do. But again, I was like, I can do this. This is what I want to do, you know, so I'm going to do it. So I would get up at 3 a.m., drive this giant truck for like three hours, sit there and like, you know, watch the sun come up and then hang out with the pickers and pick help pick fruit and um, load it up onto the truck and like drive it back. It was really stressful, but it really pushed me to the edge and made me stronger. So... He was fighting with you about this mainly because of, like, finances. So were you financing this yourself? Was it part of, I like— I mean, we were married, so I guess it was our money. Mm -hmm. But I think it was, like, he saw something that he couldn't control, you know? I think that's what it was. So he kept saying, you know, like, you're going to wear that outfit or, um, you know, you sound really dumb when you were talking about the wine or, you know, you're probably going to mess it up, like— I just, I think, you know, I wish he would stop this kind of thing. Okay. I have a feeling he did stop it at one point. <laughs> <laughs> well, he never, I mean, he held it back for sure. But then I was just like, I love this business. And if you can't see that this has, like, made me so happy and become a different person, then um, peace out. <laughs> okay. So is that where, I mean, was there a... a a while after, you know, he was discouraging, let's let's say, um, 
how long, you know, did did that go on before you guys decided to split? And I mean, you had already made the decision that you're making wine, right? Right. And at that point, where you work, you were still working for that woman who had her own business, or were you doing other? Things? It was a guy. He was a contractor oh, in the guy. South Bay, and that was it was painful. But I did it to keep making money, and and also it was good experience. But um, I moved my production up north. Uh, to to wine country, to a custom crush facility. Because I was getting so many different vineyards now, I needed help. I couldn't just count on my volunteer friends, which are awesome, but it's like the days are so long, and then you have to train people like how to clean the equipment properly and how to break it down, and then also try to get food and beer for them to like make it fun. And it was just, it wasn't working anymore. Um, so I moved my production facility up north, and... Um, that that like changed things, and I was able to go um, no no commercial yeast, go native. Because as a scientist, again, I was reading about it and traveling to France. Everybody was talking about terroir and native yeast, and I loved it, but I was afraid to do it. I was afraid something would go wrong. But in 2015, I went all native, and I thought the wines got more complex, way more interesting, and um, so that helped me grow it the brand a little bit more. Um, I was still struggling with him, but we separated in 2016 that I'd finally just had enough. So good for you. And then it, it, in 2017, I stopped working for other people and just focused on Tessier and really could grow the brand because it, it takes so much energy and you can make wine all day, but you got to sell it. And that that requires confidence and time and um, lots of follow-up and personal connections. So, And I think you're really great at that. I mean, I remember meeting you probably around that 2017 right. phase of your life and uh, hearing just bits of your story. And obviously, we're getting lots of bits of your <laughs> yeah. story right now, which is amazing. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you always, you know, resonated with me. Like, I, I, I the wine has to be good always you know I mean the wine always has to be good and the, your wine's great but your story also you know was very interesting to me that you had this full-on science career and this is where you went and you don't hear that very often so it definitely stuck with me uh so leave the husband <laughs> you are liberated how are you feeling are you feeling free or was that like a struggle or I was feeling stressed because I hadn't paid myself you know a lot of times when you start a business you don't factor in paying yourself and it's just an investment in the in the brand and in your business so I had to start paying myself and I really had to work hard to get enough sales to be able to pay for all the things and to pay myself <laughs> and just to go back, just for maybe people who might be listening to this who don't know, so you're at a custom crush facility. What is it? What is a custom crush facility? A custom crush facility. So you're sharing the facility with other winemakers, um, but then you're using their equipment, using their space, um, and then also having labor there to help you. So then I bring in the fruit and the labor at the the cellar. They clean the equipment and. Um, get it all set up for you and so then you can just focus on your protocol and what you want to do and pay attention to the fruit um and that I mean that helps so much because it takes like a couple hours to set up and a couple hours to break down 
And if you're driving the truck from, you know, dawn, there's only so many hours in a day. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's a, it's a shared facility. And then also your wine ages there. And then you get a, a bottling truck and share it with other people that are making their wine there. It's just much more affordable. Got it. Because I don't know how to make that leap to have my own space with my own equipment and have my own staff. Like, I just... Are you still in a custom crush facility? I'm still facility? in a custom crush facility, yeah. It's so funny, too. I talk to so many people who talk about the truck, like the yes. flatbed truck. And some people love it and some people do not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... They all have to do it. I feel like they, I can never get a flatbed truck. And so I'm driving these, like, giant box trucks. Oh, wow. So, like, 16 feet of box truck that... Just anybody can rent. It's kind of crazy. Like a U-Haul. <laughs> yeah, you're it's just, a U-Haul. You're just... Or Penske or whatever. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and a lot of times I can't even fit that well in the truck. I've had to bring like pillows from home that I can like reach the pedals. And I'm, I'm an average sized woman, but it's just they're designed for men. And <laughs> we should we should have a business of like trucks for women. Well, you would think because the whole lesbian U-Haul <laughs> right. joke, right? That yeah. they'd be a little bit more female-friendly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, so we're 2017. You are full-on Tessier. So at this point, are you still in Berkeley living there? Uh, yeah, I moved to Berkeley. I was in Alameda. Okay. And that's where I moved from Michigan when I moved out here the second time I was in Berkeley. So it was nice to come back. Come back to my younger self of the things that I wanted to accomplish and the person that I wanted to be. Yeah. That sounds really beautiful. Yeah. So full circle. <laughs> full circle. It's cathartic. Yeah. So from 2017, you're building your own business. Were there any kind of pinnacle moments in those those next few years for you with Tessier? And now that you're on your own, you're completely, what, self-financed? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, did you bring on an investor? which some winemakers do. We've talked to a few that, you know, bring on investors to help with their brand. Did you do that? I haven't done that. Um, I'm always kind of afraid of losing control, you know. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, like I said, my, my background, working class, like I don't come from money, I don't own any land, and I just do it in this kind of punk rock style that invested a little bit of money and like slowly, gradually grew the business and getting a little bit of roots. Um, I also signed with Alluvial as my broker in California, and so that really helped. You know, they have connections. Like, all the salespeople have connections. I was trying to do it all myself, like, do my own sales and deliver the wine, and, like, that that wasn't working. So that that really helped to grow the, the brand, too. Um, and then I met my current boyfriend in um, 2017, around that time, too, and... Um, he introduced me to the graphic designer that I work with, and it was going to be my 10th harvest in 2018, and I wanted to have a new label because in the beginning, remember, it was the round uh, microscope label, and it had a back label. It was, like, pretty primitive. Yes, I do remember the labels. They were very... Um analytical. Yeah, like you definitely... <laughs> there needed to be an explanation to know what was right. going on. Right. So um, he introduced me to this friend of ours now, that, and she's a graphic designer, Tara Lynch, and she's amazing. And she kind of gave me a whole new fresh look. And since she's so creative and um, awesome, like I thought about like doing a blend, uh, 
because normally I'm very terroir-driven, very, like, varietal-driven, um, but I wanted to do something a little more fun. And um, and actually, Chandran kind of pushed me in that way, my boyfriend, uh, like, to be more creative. Yeah, I love the new labels. Um, really quickly, you know, again, for people who might not know, and, and this is something that's used in the wine business all the time, and it is a very French-specific word, and I know that, you know, you are a French scholar as well. Uh, what does terroir mean? Terroir means, you know, really encompassing the place. So an expression of that grape from that soil, from the the weather that, that happens to happen, if there's a lot of fog, if there's a lot of heat. Um, yeah, just an expression of a sense of place. That's a beautiful one sentence uh, description <laughs> for that word because it's a hard one because we yeah. don't have an English translation right. of terroir. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I love that. alluvial so uh before you were self-distributing and really hustling and and so now you have somebody that's buying your wines essentially and then taking them out into the market Mm -hmm. for you yeah um so was that a a real game changer yeah definitely definitely and the la market like really likes tessier and i love that so i always come down here a lot the food scene is awesome i feel like it's more exciting than the bay area right now so yeah i love coming down and then I did raw this year in New York and L.A., and I've gotten a couple more distributors out of state. So this year I'm going to grow like 10% more. So I, I want to keep growing the brand to maybe like 3,000 cases, which isn't huge, but just to be able to to live in the Bay Area, on, basically. <laughs> so keep the growth going. No, keep it's it's, going, right. it's onward and upward. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Chandran also... Um, really helped me with bottle costs and margins, like the business side of it, that, you know, I, I never went to business school. I am very organized and detail-oriented, um, which has helped with the winemaking. But then then it's like to keep this alive, I really got to know all of that stuff too. And he has a business background, is that? He has a business background, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah he's so. in the cannabis industry. He was a cannabis buyer, so he just like helped me apply it to that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all the, all the feel good things. Definitely. And he's so supportive and um, really nurturing. It's just like completely different than my past relationship. It sounds so. like it. I mean, I don't want to get too much into it, but some of the things you were saying were making me kind of mad. Yeah, I know. Uh, so I'm, I'm mad at myself that I did it. But yeah, I'm a different person now on this journey, you know, trying to feel good and feel happy within yourself and these are the things that make us stronger, learn, and yes. do better. Yes. Uh, so earlier we touched a little bit about music, and um, I know you are a huge music music fan. Uh, I also know that you pair a lot of your wines with songs, with contemporary artists. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about how music inspires your winemaking? Sure. I mean, I'm always listening to music when I'm driving the truck, when I'm in the cellar, when I'm tasting the wines. And um, 
I think back to, you know, like the Velvet Underground, when they would have shows, they also had art. It's just kind of making this this whole submersive experience. So I wanted to convey what the wine felt like to me, personality-wise. So I started attaching a song to the wine. And um, in the wine club, I make cards for each of the wines. So it has, like, tasting notes on the back, and then it has also the song pairing. But it is all on the website as well. So each of the wines have their own song pairing. And then I also, in 2019, launched Soul Love, which is a tribute to David Bowie. It has a cool graphic label, and that's, like, a blend, um, a really fun picnic blend. And then this year I added on Electric Ladyland, which is a tribute to Jimi Hendrix, and just kind of going with the vibe, and you don't have to overthink it. Like, just have fun and drink the wine and feel happy kind of thing. But I'm curious, so what make, how do you pair your wines with music? So as as a sommelier, I know how to approach pairing wine with food, right? So right. I'm going to take likeness and likeness and match, and how is this going to enhance? So what's, if this is something that you're really doing with each wine, how do you approach this? Right, okay. So how do I explain it? I, I feel like, you know, I taste the wine when... I taste when it's juice, right? It's being pressed, and um, I'll make notes. And then I taste it every four weeks out of the barrel and make notes. And, you know, some of the wines are just more, like, sweet and kind of innocent, like, easygoing. Some are more structured and uptight and moody. Like, and I'm trying to show that with the song and and so like I said I'm listening to music all the time and um so it's just the the 2021 skin contact chardonnay um that one is is you know kind of fizzy it's like pear um chamomile butterscotch it's kind of homey it's it's um it's definitely food friendly and I paired it with a old cardigans album happy meal and I just feel like that song is just sweet and um, kind of complete and um, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but... <laughs> so it's a feeling. This it's a feeling, a, yeah. an intuition <laughs> yes. thing. I mean, we're drinking your Pet Nat Rosé right now. Um, it's the... Uh, limited release Pinot Noir. Yeah, just 40 cases made. Just 40 cases made. So what what song goes with this one? Gosh, so I can I, really like feel it because I'm drinking it. Right. I don't. Re- I don't know if I paired this one yet. I can't remember what I did it with now. But putting me on the spot. It's just releasing today, so <laughs> I, I don't. I can't remember right now. <laughs> well, it's delicious. Yeah, I can think of things that I'd pair it with. What would you pair it with? Oh gosh, there is some structure. And I hate tasting, talking about tasting too much when people aren't tasting things. Right. Uh, but it's fun and there's them. some structure. I would maybe go with, um, but also a little spice. I'd almost go like 80s hip hop, like some salt and pepper. <laughs> nice. I like that. <laughs> I like that vibe. Uh, this is like fun and real. Yeah. Or maybe even like, 
U-N-I-T-Y, Queen Latifah. Oh, yeah, that yeah. would be good. Right? I like, like that. It's a unity. Like, it's all coming together for me. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. <laughs> that's that's my vibe on it, but I imagine that you'll, you'll come up with a more accurate one. Uh, so... You you're you're from Michigan. You're now in California. How important is California winemaking to you? I mean, you're a natural winemaker. Global warming's a thing. Do you ever see yourself moving outside of California? I know. I need to think of a next plan. I mean, I'm kind of worried about it. Um, I I think about Mexico, mm-hmm. possibly, and I also think about uh, Sicily. <laughs> My best friend uh, has a lip balm business, and she wants to buy an olive oil, um, an olive oil grove. I don't know what is it. <laughs> yeah, I think grove or some property with olive oil orchard? trees on it. An orchard. Yeah. yeah, she wants to make olive oil too, and she said most of the properties come with uh, grapevines. Yeah, and I was like, please take me. <laughs> Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time in the Valle de Guadalupe, which has also a lot of olive orchards, mm-hmm. and oh, okay. the vines are amazing. And I'm going to Sicily next week. So okay, I'm, well, I'm right check there back with in. you. Yeah, right. Totally. <laughs> so, do We're you have um, a favorite wine that you've ever made, or a favorite wine that you have never made? Hmm, that's a good question. Um. I mean, I love all my wines because they're all my babies. Uh, I love Pinot Noir. Um, So I guess I always think about Santa Cruz Mountains. Uh, It's my favorite Pinot Noir. And I get to work with Prudy Fox, a super cool woman in the industry as a vineyard manager. Um, And I think, like, the 2015 vintage was really great. And the 2019, I don't know. I also, I want to do more bubbles. Like, I love bubbles. But Petnet is quite laborious. You know, you have to handle the bottle so many times, and it takes a lot of work. Can you just break down really quickly, A, what does Petnet mean and what is the process? Yeah. Petulant Natural, and it's a um, kind of an ancient, primitive way of making sparkling wine. So um, what I did, this is, the base is the Femme Fatale Rosé, but I wait until the sugar gets below one bricks, and then I um, head up to the winery and have to bottle it and cap it and then just lay it aside uh, and keep it in the cellar, keep it cool. And then um, we disgorged it just uh, three weeks ago. And um, where I make wine now, they have a disgorging machine, which is amazing because last year I did it all by hand. So then you get the neck really cold and the plug goes to the bottom. So like all the dead yeast leaves and tartrates. And then you pop it off. The plug comes out and a whole bunch of wine comes out. So then you got to top it back up and cap it again and then wipe it down and let it get back to room temperature before you can put the label on. So, you know, it's just a couple-day process, and and then there you have it. Okay, <laughs> so second fermentation of the bottle, I'll give yeah. you the bubbles. I also read somewhere that you read tarot cards, and I'm <laughs> curious, have you ever used them on your winemaking decisions? Like, 
when to pick the wine or if you should make this wine, if you should buy this fruit. For sure. I I mean, I read my cards usually on like a, a full moon, New Year's, um, before harvest. Just uh, and like I've used this as a guide through my whole life. I was, my best friend gave me a deck for my 21st birthday. And, um, you know, they don't it's not like it gives you all the answers, but it, it makes you sit and reflect on your life and, you know, where, where do I want to go and what are the, you know, what, what do I want to accomplish? Um, so it's not as easy as that, but it's definitely a guide to see if I'm on the right path and just, it's kind of like a journal entry then, then you really like sit with it and, and think about what it's telling you and what, what good in, in it or what bad in it and what changes maybe you should think about making. <laughs> I'm a believer, and I um, I think too when we're talking about natural wine, which we we do on wine splitting predominantly, you know, we're thinking of biodynamics, and you know, while while most people aren't certified, they we all try to like kind of think of along those practices of you know the lunar and the solar and the yeah. and the times to um, be reflective of those things. So I thought it was interesting that you actually had tarot, and I thought it. Okay, like maybe maybe some of us should be consulting the cards more on on when so. to pick and when to <laughs> maybe not. I mean, when you pick, it go, so many factors go into that, and then I'm also usually pretty flexible too about like when we can get people out to pick. You know, when I can get the truck. Like, there's just so many things that go into it. Well, and then with you, it's science too. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm sure you're measuring and the, the numbers, bricks, right? Totally the sugars, the yes. bricks. Yeah, for, for people who don't and know. And the pH, um, yeah, for sure. All of those things are first and foremost. And then the logistics, which get in the way, too, of just, like, the pure science and calculation of it. But <laughs> And now I know after talking to you that you're, you know, living your best life. But if there was an alternate universe, what else would Christy be doing with her life? Mm. I mean, in college, I really wanted to be in a band, and I was obsessed with live music, and I took bass lessons, and I was like, I'm going to be in a band, you know, just set my mind to it, but it was way harder than I thought, and, you know, you just have to get into the rhythm of music, and I, maybe I'm just too analytical for it, but I gave it up, but I think I can appreciate music even more because I feel it, and I don't understand it all. And, but I'm still obsessed with live music. I just love watching people play and love the feelings that come from it. <laughs> it's magical. Fair. <laughs> if there was any, like, instrument that you didn't have to, like, work at knowing to play, but you were just bestowed this gift of playing, what instrument would it be? For sure, like, bass guitar. And I'd love to sing, like, Kim Gordon or um, what's the woman's name from the makeup, like, uh, and Veruca Salt, like the bass player in that, like just the whole look and vibe that they have. Like, I wish I could do that and wish I had that much confidence, you know. So out of any instrument, it would be bass. Yeah. Okay. Bass is my favorite for sure. <laughs> I think we've all dabbled in a little bass. Yeah. <laughs> a little Riot Girl bass at some yeah, point in their for life. Sure. At for least sure. some of us. 
so what's next? Where do you see yourself in in ten years, five years? What's what's going on with with Christy Daisy? Jeez, I don't know. Just being flexible, trying to live my best life and keep it feeling good and pure and um I don't know. I hope I can keep making wine. I love making wine. It's getting more challenging with the fires and drought. I don't know. It's just I I feel stressed when I think about the future that way, but but I I love what I'm doing. Just I want to keep on track and um keep growing the brand and um do more collaboration with other people. Like I love working with restaurants and um, any other way that I can bring in more people. It's just way more fun that way. And I think that's the way of the future is supporting each other and helping each other out, especially for small businesses. It's just getting harder and harder that I think we have to really look out for each other and um, just support, support community. Agreed. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I know that you love about the wine industry in general. Yeah. You know, and... And, and be nice. Yeah. Kind to people. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I talked to a few people, you know, about how they feel about the community and especially in California, it feels very strong in, in the wine world and and it's a lot of people lifting each other up and you guys are all in it together and there's not a lot of fields like that. I feel right, like there's true. a lot of competitiveness, and and there still is competitiveness, but but yes, um, for the most part, I think. Once you find your community, it's 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 strong, uh, and I'll keep supporting. Thank you. I appreciate your support so much. And like maybe you said, we can collaborate at some point, yeah. and let's I let's, know. let's I, keep it all going. I love your shops too. Like. All the combination of things that you love, that everybody should love, are in your store and it just feels really good. Love, love, love. <laughs> <laughs> Check out Soul Love because it's I have a lot of love for that. Um, thank you so much, Christy. This sure. has been a really wonderful conversation and thank you for being so honest and uh, real and your wines reflect that. Cool. And, thank you. Uh, we're happy to be drinking them and we're happy to be talking to you. Yay, happy solstice. Happy solstice. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wine Splaining. Be sure to check out more episodes available wherever you love to listen and feel free to subscribe and review if you dig these women's stories. You can also check us out and learn more and get the haps at our website, winesplainingpodcast.com and social media handles, Winesplaining Podcast. And if you want to taste these wines with a story, head over to vinovore.com. You can shop online for pickup, shipping, or delivery, or of course, in person at any of our locations. <laughs>